0: If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to go to the first book of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 38 this morning. I don't have a particular text, but rather a section of text. And you know, it's hard, I've debated all morning whether to tell you this or not, but you know, as a pastor, I'm not just a salesman, I'm also a client in the sense of what I preach I have to practice, and uh, we experience the ups and downs of life. I stand before you this morning having prepped. It's been a a bit of a whirlwind week. I actually traveled on Monday to Vancouver, came back on Wednesday, so went 10,000 miles and 70 hours, and came back and had been working on this sermon to kick it off, and on uh, Thursday started to go ahead and put the body of it together and realized I had lost my sermon. So then I started to put it together, and then yesterday my computer crashed, and I lost absolutely everything. So I got up early this morning, and I mean very early this morning, and what you are about to hear, I have written in the last four hours or so. So uh, you can pray for me as I depend on God's Spirit to hopefully give you what God has laid on my heart over the weeks of study and preparation. But let's say in light of all of that, I just want to begin by saying, Merry Christmas. (laughs) All right, let's try that again. Merry Christmas. There you go. I don't know about you, but I I don't know if my wife is rubbing off on me. Um, But I actually am kind of excited about this Christmas. I usually uh, don't get near as excited as she does. Our house is already fully decorated. We will go get our next Christmas tree, our natural one. That'll be purchased this week, and that'll come in to decorate. And that will be one of, I don't know, five or six Christmas trees that are in our house. And uh, my wife loves Christmas, and she is helping me to love it as well. I don't know if you can believe that we are already at December the 1st of 2019. Where do the years go? We embark on yet, here at Calvary, another Advent series. We have four Sundays of Advent, and I get to kick it off. And this is our time when we think about Christmas. We have sung Christmas carols this morning. I don't know about you, but I was at the grocery store yesterday already sizing up turkeys. And I love butterball turkeys. And I can't wait to buy the one that I want to get. We're already planning dinners, and when will the Christmas lights be turned on? And yes, even had our first snowfall this past week. Now, I will tell you, I'm still a Scrooge there. I would gladly mow my lawn on Christmas Day and never see snow again. i got to be honest. But we are thinking of snow. My wife loves to have that Christmas Eve, Christmas Day snow. And truth be told, it wouldn't bother me if I get up on Christmas Day and it was snowing ever so softly. We have all the things that we deal with Christmas, don't we? Christmas gatherings, family gatherings, Christmas parties, Christmas concerts. For those of you that are parents, and maybe some of you are trying to decide right now, will we or can we go and hear, once again, Handel's Messiah at the Basilica? Which, by the way, if you have never done it, let me encourage you to do it. It is well worth it. But at Christmas time every year, and especially as I creep ever closer to 50, I find that the collision between Bible truth and pop culture collides more than ever. To do the right things, have the right traditions, and yet the pop culture's competing agendas. I don't know about you, but if you watch television or even have a Facebook page or anything like that, now all the advertisement for toys and gifts and celebrations are at an all-time high. But yet we also have good things like giving and thoughtful times of reflection. And all the things that go with that, slowing down and simply enjoying family. I don't know about you, but I would say that Christmas is a crazy time of contradictions. We desperately want to enjoy the season. The older I get, the bigger my family gets. And now that I have grandchildren, I am desperate to enjoy the season. And I think everyone here, as I look out, and I know almost all of you, I think we would collectively say, Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen? Amen? We all love the idea too, right, of family, spending time together with our friends, the desire, as I said already, to slow down and enjoy each other. But it seems to me like Christmas comes earlier every year. Office parties, and packed malls, even slow internet online, crashing websites, Then there's weather systems that delay the ferry or stop those online purchases from arriving on time. And the stress of Christmas seems higher than ever. If you read about it at all, depression and anxiety and loneliness skyrockets over the next 60 days. Because our efforts to buy happiness in December is met with the bills of January and the fact that we aren't all that happy after all. Indeed, even we in the church can be deceived by everything nice and honorable about Christmas. And we can actually turn Christmas into a Hollywood movie. Our desires for something magical fights against the reality of what we actually encounter. But I want to submit to us this morning that with a slight change of focus, maybe a slight shift of priorities, and being up front, a massive change of heart, then I think Christmas of 2019 can be like never before. And so I would submit to you right from the outgo that we must move from a me focus. Christmas can't be about you. It can't be about me. Let me go even further and say it's not even about a family focus. It's not even about an other's focus. To enjoy Christmas like never before, you and I need to capture the power of a Jesus Focus To truly think about how awesome Jesus is. To consider just how profound and sovereign and amazing God is in the way God planned Christmas. He wove it together and over over millennia he used people and time and circumstances to bring forth his plan culminating with those shepherds in the field who heard the angels say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And I believe this Christmas God invites us into a relationship that I think many of you here know deep down inside, that we're in need of something, not rather We're in need of someone greater and stronger and more purposeful. And so from the youngest of you to the oldest, my prayer and my aim for Christmas of 2019 is we are going to, together along with some of the other guys that are going to preach along this month, study the family tree of Jesus. I don't know about you, but it's amazing what you find when you study family trees or genealogies. My first cousin Glenn and my great uncle did a great job of putting together the Bray family tree. And I found out a lot about my family. I found out that my surname Bray, the first Bray, came from Devonshire, England in 1743 to the shores of Harbor Grace. And from that time, 1743 to now and 2019 to me, I've learned that I am the ninth Stephen in my family that there are eight other Stevens before me. And I have been struck by how God used all of those generations of my family to move and weave the gospel through it, to bring the gospel to me that I would trust Jesus Christ. And so if you look, if you want to take the time this Christmas in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 3, you'll get two lists of the family tree of Jesus presented by both Matthew and Luke. The first one in Matthew starts with Abraham, and that's because Matthew was focused on Jesus, the Messiah, that Jesus is truly the Messiah, and that's important for Jews. Luke, on the other hand, is writing to one individual, a guy by the name of Theophilus, who was a Greek, and so he presents Jesus as the Son of Man, so it's of no surprise that his genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. So you have these two genealogies, family trees, one starts at Abraham, one starts at Adam. But today we're going to look at Judah. And by the way, both lists in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 both include this man's name. Judah was the fourth son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, And I want to give you just a few simple thoughts about Judah as we come to our table of the Lord, the last one we will celebrate of 2019. Next week, Lord willing, if you want to travel along on this family tree, Brother Paul is going to preach about Rahab the harlot in Joshua chapter 2, as we'll also do a baby dedication and we'll see Judah get dedicated to the Lord with his parents, Matt and Ruth as well. After that, Matt Leahy is going to preach about his wife's name. He is going to preach about Ruth from the Bible, not his wife, all right? And he's going to walk us through that. And then on the last Sunday before Christmas, Brother Adam is going to preach to us about King David. And then, Lord willing, on Christmas Eve, I will end our series by celebrating the one, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Man, the Son of God. And so along the way... You're going to see that each of our characters from Jesus' family tree, and by the way, every one of these individuals is listed in Matthew's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And you're going to find out that Judah and Rahab and Ruth and King David all were looking for someone. They all needed someone. And today I would submit to you that Judah is looking for righteousness. If you write stuff down, I want you to make note of the fact that Judah was looking for righteousness. Next week, Paul is going to show us how Rahab was looking for both deliverance and protection. Matthew is going to tell us how Ruth longed for a redeemer. And then David was actually looking for a king. And you're going to find out that Jesus is exactly all of those things. And I believe that's why Matthew includes them. Includes them in the family tree of Jesus. It's not simply about men and women who are flawed because everybody's flawed. We all are. I'll prove that to you in just a little bit. And it's so much more than just that Jews and Gentiles are included in the gospel because that's true, but I think Matthew and Luke both have something more in mind. It's also not simply about men and women that are used. Of course, the gospel is indeed for all people. I believe that these family trees are because Matthew and Luke want us to see something like he wanted his immediate audience to see something. That God uses needy, Broken, sinful, searching people, men and women, to accomplish his plan. Christmas takes place over thousands of years through generations of people spread out over multiple continents. And you and I are meant to see God's plans get accomplished. Even your life You see, the Bible is not some random collection of 66 books crammed together and poof, out pops a story. The Bible is God's revelation of himself to humanity. Every verse, everything has been intricately chosen and woven together for us to get a cohesive story of redemption. Jesus is declaring through his Bible, this is who I am. He's proclaiming, here's what I'm doing. And what's amazing? I love it. This is one of the reasons why I think the Bible is true. Because Jesus uses ordinary, flawed people like me and you, like Judah and Rahab and Ruth and David, to accomplish his plan. Oh, and by the way, just to bring it into 2019, God is accomplishing his plan right here and right now in your life and mine. God's will is being done. So here's the big question I want you to answer this morning. Do you trust God with your life? I want, a preacher once told me, Steve, just when you get sick of saying it, they'll start to get it. I have asked you this question many, many times in my almost five years here at Calvary, but I think it is the question that everybody has to wrestle with. Do you trust God with life? Your life. Will you do that this Christmas? You see, when we look at the life of Judah, we're gonna as we celebrate the Lord's table, I want you to realize Judah is just one of thousands of examples in Scripture of someone trying hard, just like you and I, to make sense of life. He's trying to carve out an existence, trying to make a name for himself, to have a legacy, to leave a legacy. But you're going to find out, both tragically and wonderfully, he finds out that only Christ can do that. And you'll see how we can identify with him and how we can find Christ in a better way today. You're going to first find Judah, by the way, in Genesis chapter 29. I've already referenced it. When Moses tells us, because Moses writes the book of Genesis, about Leah, the mother of Judah. And this is what he writes. And she, Leah, conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. This is her fourth son. In the first three times, if you read it in Genesis 39, her her naming of her sons were quite egocentric. They were quite me focused. And by the time she has this fourth one, Judah, she finally says, This time I'm going to praise the Lord. And so she called his name Judah. Notice, then she ceased bearing. Now you need a little bit of context. Jacob loved a woman by the name of Rachel, not Leah. And their father tricked Jacob. He had promised to serve seven years, and then he could marry his youngest daughter, Rachel. But Laban had an older daughter named Leah, and so after that seven years, Laban tricked Jacob, and instead of giving him Rachel to wife, he tricked and veiled Leah and gave her to Jacob for his wife. And so he married Leah unbeknownst to himself. Then as the story goes, if you read it, he would serve another seven years and then he would take Rachel to wife as well and that didn't help matters for Leah at all. And long story short, Jacob eventually not only marries Leah but truly loves her and so Leah feels unloved and rejected. Of course, God allows her to bear children and Rachel at the time doesn't and that creates even more rivalry and jealousy among these two sisters. And so God finally, after years, opens up Rachel's womb and she bears two sons. The one that maybe many of you in church have heard about is the son named Joseph. And later, Benjamin. Now, many of you will know that Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel, and he would become the favorite of Jacob, where you hear about the coat of many colors that Joseph was given by his father Jacob. And the other brothers know it including Judah. And really, the life of Judah comes into focus in Genesis chapter 37. And so I want you first to look at this with me this morning as we get ready for the table of the Lord and launch into, the, into, into Christmas. Judah, the son of Jacob, is flawed and searching. He's flawed and searching. In Genesis chapter 37, we hear all about Joseph. He's 17 years old, he's the pride and joy of his father, he's the dreamer, he's the guy that would dream at night, and then he was dumb enough to come and tell everybody what he dreamt, and so he told his brothers, even told his mom and his dad, that he would dream these dreams that one day they would all bow down and worship him. As you can imagine, as the runt of the litter that did not go over well with 10 other senior brothers, they hated him. And likewise, more than that, they hated him so much that this plays out in Genesis chapter 37, verse 18, where Moses tells us, they, the brother, saw him, Joseph, from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. So they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Now as you continue to read, Reuben, who's the oldest son, doesn't want to kill Joseph, his brother. And he actually tries to rescue him from the others. Enter now, Judah. So, this fourth son of Leah and Jacob is introduced to us, and this man is given a great insight as to just how flat he is. Because if you look at Genesis 37, verse 26, we read this Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. And then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites, notice this, for 20 shekels of silver. You see, Judah... Didn't want to kill his brother because he didn't want blood on his hands, but he had no problem living out his jealousy and his envy and, well, to put it bluntly, his lust for money and profit. His hate for his brother was not, I don't hate him enough to kill him, I hate him enough to sell him and maybe other people will kill him for me. But at least he's out of sight, out of mind. Put ourselves first and put him last. Is this not the order of the 21st century, by the way? And by the way, has not Christmas, for all of its beautiful music and twinkling lights, become so commercialized and all about profit and stuff? Once again, this weekend, Black Friday happened. This was the big Thanksgiving weekend. If you've read anything of the news, if you've heard about it, mobs fought over sales and toys, websites crashed. Costco's website apparently crashed and cost them $11 million in the crash. And that's what made the news. People were hurt and trampled. Two people were even killed in a Walmart parking lot in Arkansas. All because they wanted the latest gadget or the biggest TV or the best toy. Merry Christmas. Now, before you and I get a bit self-righteous, let's be honest and ask ourselves where our heart is when it comes to family and friends, church community, when it comes to serving versus getting When it comes to spending money versus spending time. When it comes to us trying to buy happiness instead of spreading happiness in our relationships. Why don't you be honest about what your struggle is? For we are all flawed just like Judah. Now something very weird happens in Genesis. And this is why I've chosen to look at Judah here today. For you would think, if you actually read the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 37 to 50 is really all about Joseph. He is the main character and subject matter of the entire last third of the book. But right in the middle of that, chapter 38 is all about Judah. And Judah plays a big part in Genesis chapter 43 to 49. Now, of interest in contrast, in Genesis chapter 39, you read about Joseph not giving in to temptation. Remember, he was moved into Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife wanted him to commit adultery with him, and he refused to the point where he left his coat behind and ran out from her, and he ends up in jail for three years. In Genesis chapter 38, you get the complete opposite. Where Joseph rejected and would not give in to temptation, Judah gives in to temptation All the time. In Genesis chapter 38, you'll read about how Judah marries a Canaanite woman and bears sons. And well, let's just say things go from bad to worse. Money didn't buy happiness for Judah. His son, his oldest son Ur, marries his niece, a woman by the name of Tamar, And Ur, Judah's oldest son, dies, and according to tradition, the other brothers, or the other sons of Judah, were to take care of Tamar and actually seek to help her raise up children. And they both refuse, and because of this, God kills them both. So long story short, all of Judah's sons end up dead. Now don't miss the tragic irony of this. Judah, who stole a son away from his father, now experiences the loss of sons Three times. And then Judah spirals out of control. And tragically, he morally hits rock bottom by seeking pleasure by paying for it. And this comes to a faithful head when Tamar, his daughter-in-law and niece, tricks her uncle-father-in-law to sleep with him. As a result, she becomes pregnant and bears twins. Now stick with me. So once Tamar is found to be pregnant, word gets out and to, and to Judah. And in Judah, Genesis chapter 38, verse 24, you read this. After about three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar has been acting like a prostitute, and now she's pregnant. Bring her out, Judah said. Let her be burned to death. <laughs> the flaws, the sin, the anger, the self-righteousness, Righteousness, the power of sin to destroy our life. These are the flaws of this son of Jacob named Joseph, Judah. But my second point is, Judah is the son of Jacob, remorseful and willing. Remorseful and willing. You see, in this drama, Tamar knew what she was doing. And so before she would commit this adultery with her father-in-law, she took some things from him that only he could give her. And so when she was outed, and Judah publicly called for her death to try and save face and act all righteous, Tamar sends these things to her father-in-law. And this is what's said next in Genesis 38. And she said, please identify whose these are. The signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, Now notice this, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Selah, and he did not know her again. And this is the turning point in Judah's life. Confronted with his sin, his flaws, his failure, and his greed. Notice those words, She is more righteous than I. And then something weird happens. Judah disappears. This is how Genesis chapter 38 ends, and then Genesis chapter 39 begins, and it's all about Joseph. And Judah doesn't come up again for another 7 to 10 years. And by the time he does... Obviously, in those silent years, his life and his character are being developed and his remorse and his willingness to change because now you come into the fact in Genesis 43 where he reappears. And my last point is this, Judah, the son of God, hopeful and resting. Notice he goes from being a son of Jacob to a son of God. Because the next time you see Judah in Genesis 43, Joseph, his brother, is second in command of Egypt and basically is the ruler of the world. Jacob has sent his sons to get food And as many of you know how the story goes, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. And this game of life chess is afoot because Joseph now tests his brothers. So in Genesis 42, Jacob, because they're starving, there's a famine all through the known land, sends his son to Egypt to get food and Joseph, recognizing his brother, sends sends them home with food, but this time he says, one of the boys has to stay with me and that one was Simeon until they return and he said don't come back before me until you bring the youngest boy Benjamin who was his brother but was now the prized son of Jacob and so this was the test and so Jacob already having lost one of his favorite sons refuses to send Benjamin to go back to Egypt because he can't bear it and now you have Reuben and Judah reappear again so watch now, Reuben, who at one point said, let's not kill our brother. And Judah said, let's sell him. Now Reuben steps forward in, in Genesis forty-two thirty-seven, Reuben asks Jacob, he says, send Benjamin with me, with me. And then he says, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Now there's a solution, isn't it? If I don't bring back Benjamin, you can have my two sons. What a terrible idea. If a son is lost, then kill two grandsons. What do you think a grandfather would think of that? Jacob says, I'm not going to trust you with my son. But then in Genesis chapter 43, verses 8 and 9, Judah steps forward. And this is the next time we hear from him. Judah said to Israel his father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. And I will be a pledge for his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Do you see the change in Judah's heart and mind and life? He went from being selfish and self, self, uh, self-satisfying. Reuben's idea was horrible, but Judah's is honorable. I will be a pledge. What a difference from chapter 38, right? When his self-righteousness... Now watch this, because when they go back, Joseph sets up his brothers again. So Benjamin comes down and he sees them. And the Bible tells us in Genesis that Joseph had to hide his face because he was so overcome with emotion that he saw his brother Benjamin. But he sends them back, but this time he sneaks a whole bunch of extra stuff in Benjamin's bag. In other words, he favors Benjamin among the other boys. And then he sends his servants out to catch them to find out what these boys will do. Will they sell out Benjamin too, like they sold out me? Now watch, Judah, who once sold Joseph for profit, steps forward and actually makes the longest speech in the entire book of Genesis. I can't read it all, but here's the end of what he says. He says to Joseph, his brother, whom he had sold, and he doesn't know it yet, I have become a pledge of safety for the boy to my father. And this is what I told dad. If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. So he pleads with his own brother. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. He went from being a son of Jacob to being a son of God. Judah goes from selfish and self-righteous to selfless and self-sacrificing. And the cycle of sin is broken, not only for Judah, but as you're going to see in a minute, for his entire family. Genesis chapter 43 tells us that Joseph can't help himself anymore. And he reveals who he is and he cries so loudly that the entire house of Joseph hears it. And because of this, Jacob is reunited with his lost son. And by the way, In Genesis 44, when Jacob sends the family, he sends Judah ahead first to make the arrangements for them to reunite. And then we come to the end of Jacob's life in Genesis 45. And this is the last lesson of this Christmas gospel I want you to notice as we kick off Christmas together. Because when Joseph comes to the end of his life and blesses his 12 sons in Genesis 49... He calls Judah before him and lays his hand on his head and this is the blessing he pronounces to Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So Judah goes from sinner to saint, from selfish to selfless, from a legacy of destruction to a legacy of faith. He offered himself for his brother, and he found out that through him, his lineage, oh, and by the way, through those twin boys that he had had with Tamar in sin, would come one to offer himself not only for Judah, but indeed for the whole world. And you already know who I'm talking about. Jesus Christ. So as we come to the table of the Lord and we kick off our Advent season, as we walk through this family tree of Jesus, what are we supposed to do with the life of Judah? What does the life of Judah tell us in 2019? Well, I'm going to say for starters, I want you to own this. We are all flawed and we can't fix ourselves. I actually think you would have a much more peaceful Christmas if you'd actually own the fact that you're flawed and you can't fix yourself. Every one of us here needs to know you're no different from Judah. We're all flawed. Many of you know that verse in Romans, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But few of you ever actually read that verse in its context. Let me read it into its context back a few verses. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. And here's the verse everybody knows. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But notice it keeps going. And are justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's what this table's all about. Not one of us here can claim anything close to perfection. But if we're willing to own that fact and that we need help, that we can't fix ourselves, my second application is this. We all need to see our need and be willing to accept help. See, in Romans chapter 4, Paul quotes the psalmist who said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count as sin. (laughs) I wish I could see if Christians actually live that reality Monday to Saturday. And not just give lip service to it on Sunday. Friends, do you know this to be true in your life? If you will repent of your flaws, however small or great they are, if you confess, I need Jesus, the righteousness of God, to forgive me and to cover my sin and to credit me with his life, to make me right with God as Father, then these words will be and are true of you. Judas said, remember back in Genesis 38, she, being Tamar, is more righteous than I. He owned his sin and he admitted, I need help. Here's my question, will you... Admit your need and say, I need help. Because if you will, then finally this morning you can know this. We can all come to Jesus and find hope and rest this Christmas. The legacy of Judah is more than simply a call for us to be a pledge of safety for others. The reason we can have hope despite our glaring flaws and the reason we can step forward to sacrifice self for the good of others is because we ourselves have a pledge of safety for us. You see, Judah looked forward to the Messiah. He was told that he would come through his lineage and who was promised this. And what do you think he did for his mind and his heart and his soul? And so, Christian, this morning, this Christmas, do you and are you living in this reality as you come to the table of the Lord? Is this true of you? Are you living your life in the shadow of this blessed reality? Listen to me. Our legacy is not built to build a name for ourselves, but rather to glorify the name of Jesus. That's your legacy. While we will celebrate this Christmas, the birth of Jesus, I want you to understand that Advent is meant to be celebrated by looking ahead. Oh, and by the way, kind of what this table stands for, isn't it? And you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The Lord's table is a celebration, looking back on something accomplished and promised and looking ahead with a settled hope and rest that even the promise is, from God's point of view, already accomplished. Christmas and communion both cry out the same message. Are you resting and hoping in what God has said he will do? Because if you get this, you will be much more at peace and able to handle the ups and downs of today as you wait for the fulfillment of tomorrow. David Phelps, who sings with the Gaither Vocal Band, became famous for singing a song titled, The End of the Beginning. The chorus goes like this. He, being Christ, was born of a virgin one holy night in the little town of Bethlehem. And angels gathered round him underneath the stars, singing praises to the great I Am. And he walked on the water and healed the lame and made the blind to see again. And for the first time here on earth, we learned that God could be a friend. And though he never ever did a single thing wrong, the angry crowd chose him. And then he walked down the road and died on the cross. And watch this, and that was the end of the beginning. The end of life of Judah doesn't end with Jesus' birth or even his death. Judah's gospel legacy find its ultimate fulfillment in the book of Revelation, which is the song that Jennifer had us sing. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Revelation chapter 5, you will read this verse. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. It's already happened from God's point of view. And so church, Calvary Baptist Church, listen, we ought not to weep as if Satan or the world or even our own struggles have won. They've all lost. Jesus conquered death. He conquered sin. He defeated Satan. Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that's because Jesus, who has conquered all things and persons, so Paul wants us to know that you and I are more than conquerors. How? Through Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, just like his great, 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 great grandfather Judah did for his brother Benjamin. And so, as we come to the table of the Lord, I want you to picture Jesus himself in heaven right now, turning to God the Father and saying these words I will be a pledge of his or her safety. Father, I will not come back without him or her. I will, not, I will bear the blame for him or her. And Jesus came and offered himself in your place as your substitute. And what enables, to be, enables us to be the kind of person who can pledge, become pledges of safety for others is that first and foremost, Jesus has pledged our safety in himself. So when it gets hard, and when you feel weak, and when it feels like, it's more than you can bear. I want you to know, church, you have a lion to lean on. The lion of Judah who is conquered. He will hold you fast, the hymn says. He will keep you safe. He will bring you home. So come. Come this Christmas. Come to this table and celebrate. Or come. Come this Christmas and receive. Trust Christ with your life, trust Jesus with your soul. Trust him with your past and your present and your future. Give him your struggles. Give him your hurts. Give him your marriage and your sons and daughters. Give him your girlfriends and your boyfriends, your job, your money, your possessions. Give him your future. Give Jesus whatever it is that makes you anxious or has hurt you or has caused you pain. Give Jesus your temper or your anger. Give Jesus your pride or your self-righteousness. That's what Judah did. And by the way, as you're going to see in coming weeks, Rahab does this, Ruth does this, and even mighty King David humbles himself before the coming Messiah. And on Christmas Eve, we'll be reminded, Jesus does come. Jesus does live. Jesus does die. And then Jesus rises again. Why? Because Jesus is better. And by the way, Jesus isn't just righteous. He is righteousness. Will you trust him today? Have you trusted in him? Christian, are you trusting him? Judah did. With nothing more than a promised blessing from a dying father. He looked ahead with hope and rest. We've got the whole Bible. We've got all the honor and privilege of knowing that Jesus did come and did all that has been said about him. Oh, trust him. Only trust him. And I promise you this, if you'll trust Jesus this Christmas, then this Christmas will be very different from you. There will be much more meaning, much more calm and peace. You'll not only feel joy, but you'll know true joy. And you'll be blessed, and you'll be a blessing to those around you. So church... Merry Christmas. Have you thought about that phrase? What are you actually saying or wishing on someone when you say Merry Christmas? I hope for us it'll be, I want you to know the joy of knowing the Jesus story. Indeed, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, again, I pray for my family and friends that are here. For my own wife and my children my grandchildren even though they are very young that have heard a husband and a dad and a grandfather try desperately to proclaim you for my friends my church family my brothers and sisters in Christ and Lord I have the privilege and the honor of knowing so many of these people so intimately and well so I know father that how much they love you and yet like me we all struggle And so, Lord, like Judah, we come before you and we own the fact that we're flawed. And we act very much like the sons and daughters of the world. But because of Christ, we can trust you. So, Lord, whatever the need is in this congregation, whether it be someone visiting who's searching and has a ton of questions, whether it's those who have been raised in church and now they're getting into their teen years or their young adult years and they're trying to figure out, will I come out from behind the shadow of my mom and dad? Whether it's marriages that are struggling or parents that are just desperate for you, Lord, to hurt or to help a child. Whether it's unexpected bills or jobs that just take the good out of us. Whether it's friendships that are in dire need of repair. Father, whether it's we've got a wrong perspective on Christmas and we think that if we could just fill the tree with gifts, then everybody will be happy. Oh God, help us to understand what it means to move from being a son of the world or a daughter of the world to being a son or daughter of God. And so that we can know rest and peace and hope this Christmas. Father God, my greatest request to you for this Christmas, for me and my family and this church, is that we won't pretend like we have it all together. But we will actually be flawed people who have a perfect Savior. And that we'll actually put into practice by faith what it means to trust you with our lives. And may we do that now as we come to the table of the Lord. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.